people. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 51. I am Joel, and today I'm going to be speaking with someone who I I think is bringing some really important work into the world, Spring Cheng, who has created the Resonance Code. We're going to talk about the Resonance Code, and I was inspired by her article that I that I read and um, let me just see I'm grabbing it now and um, basically she wrote an article called evolution towards wholeness integrating a holistic paradigm into adult development praising the adult development models that you'll be familiar with from our podcast uh, you know work by Keegan Susan Cook Reuter but also pointing out the blind spots the western bias and how actually some of these earlier stages really have, you know, indigenous wisdom within them. And so we're going to talk about that in this conversation. We're going to talk about the resonance code. And my invitation for you is this is a, this is like a, this work has, is vast in its scope and I'm getting my head around it. So I would like to invite you to listen to this podcast in two ways. One, yes, we have these linear rational minds, very useful but there's also what Spring would call a poetic mind or a heart mind, which is non-linear, and um, somehow, and, and there's an intelligence in that non-linearity that actually opens us to a kind of um, livingness, an interconnected livingness that, that we're immersed within. And so, my invitation is to listen. You might be wondering what the hell I'm talking about, but to listen with that poetic mind you know that that this conversation we're about to have is somewhat linear and is also a web an interconnected web of of um of um inspiration so quick heads up to you all who don't know about the art of developmental coaching spring is actually going to be teaching in that and it is our online developmental coaching training program with an incredible faculty. It's the fifth time we're running it. We've had thousands of coaches go through it now and hundreds are signed up to this cohort. And I want to invite you to check that out. The enrollment is open until the 10th of February, so 2020. So if you want to know more about that, go to coachesrising.com forward slash art of developmental coaching. If you feel like sharing any of these podcasts i'd be very grateful because we want to get the word out if you're not subscribed to our email list please consider doing that you'll be in the loop about upcoming podcasts i've I've done some brilliant ones recently i can't wait to share them with you so without further ado here is spring cheng spring great to see you thank you yeah see you joe yeah How's things with you today? Um, it's uh, um, pretty wet and cold in Seattle. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I know that feeling. Living, yeah. coming from Blackburn, uh, which is like where all the mill towns were in the Industrial Revolution, where they made uh, they made cotton because oh. the conditions were perfect for it. So the, it's damp. And it rains a lot, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't live there anymore. I live in Amsterdam, <laughs> but it rains a lot here too. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm really pleased to be speaking with you again. I notice mm-hmm. 
Um, I can't quite put words to it, but I really enjoyed connecting with you. We've had like a couple mm-hmm. of conversations and mm-hmm. there is a kind of, sort of quality that pervades the space as I speak with you that I mm. enjoy a lot and I can't quite name it. So maybe as we speak further today, I'll be mm. able to put words to that. Oh, I'm very curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, curious what gives, what uh, gives you pleasure. <laughs> yeah, it's like... That way. It's kind of like an intimacy and um, sweetness and and mm. like care, care, love. It's like got us mm. a mixture of all that. Yeah, mm. like mm. Hey, wow. interesting. Yeah. Mm. Um. Well, so um, I what I like is um, we're going to talk today about your work, which I was mm. very excited to be introduced to, the mm. resonance code, mm. and. I was very excited by it. I get emails quite a lot with people's work and, you know, it's often quite interesting and stuff. But when I, there's a few that I get every now and then and I'm like, oh, this is really sparked something inside of me. And I felt that Mm -hmm. when I saw your work and started to read your articles and and look into your book as well. So Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about the resonance code today. And mm-hmm. it's, um, let's see if we can do it justice because there's so much in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I feel overwhelmed too. Because <laughs> yeah. there's so, such a big territory where we're attempting to bridge between us right now in this limited uh, space. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you could just say a little bit, actually, before I ask you what is the mm-hmm. resonance code, mm-hmm. how has this work emerged through you into the world? Yeah. Um, so I was, you know, I'm a native Chinese. I was born in China and came to the West at 22 after college to pursue my career as a scientist, actually first, um, like hardcore scientist. Um, mm. So there, it's a really quite a, like um, circular eventful journey that has taken me to landed in this um, ancient Chinese classic called the I Ching, uh, Book mm-hmm. of Change, which is really, if not the earliest, but at least one of the few earliest book in the human history. And this is the I Ching is the source of um, uh, Chinese cosmology, which gave birth to the tributaries of all branches of Chinese culture. Um, from philosophy to medicine to military strategy to political um, to uh, leadership political you know ancient leader development and uh, um, political ideas all kinds of things and uh, and and as you know all as sources of knowledge they tend to be forgotten <laughs> so I was born in a time in China <clears throat> when this source is forgotten is removed from um, people's consciousness and uh, it became my last 10 years journey to actually dig deep into the my unconsciousness to connect with the collective unconsciousness and infuse the source with some new energy and to bring it back into life again into being again and uh, um in the English space, <laughs> mm. strangely enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I think it's a very pertinent time for it. 
um, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, this East meets West and the kinds of knowing and knowledge that mm -hmm. perhaps we've less focused upon in the West that mm -hmm. um, are needed. We'll go there, but I think you mm -hmm. like, so you said I was a hardcore scientist and yeah. then I've, and then you went to the I Ching, you discovered the I Ching, but like, <laughs> that's like a, how did, so what were you a scientist in? And then how did you discover the I Ching? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, so hardcore in terms of like, I have a PhD in molecular biology and uh, I was uh, also a biostatistician. So I was uh, doing large data analysis of genomic research for a pharmaceutical company. <laughs> so right. that's the extent of hardcore. And uh, um, I was, you know, had a pretty, very successful career. Um, so the switch really, you know, it's one of those things when life just throws things at you. So um, I went to Tibet, I traveled to Tibet and uh, being on that soil and connecting with China, uh, sorry, Tibetan culture actually, kind of awakened the, the indigenous part of me. Um, mm. it, it's like suddenly I saw my life as a scientist as a, almost like um, virtual reality. It's not me anymore. And another me came online. So, and once this, you know, a, a bigger life force came online, uh, it, it, it usually blasts off the old, <laughs> wipe off the old, <laughs> old uh, wipe off clean the old slate and start over again. So, so uh, um, I quit my scientist job and I dived in Chinese medicine, Taoism, practice acupuncturist. But um, eventually I realized that's a too small of a pot for me. Um, so I turned to the field of coaching. Just before you go further, what yeah. happened in Tibet? Like, was it just being in the land there or, or in the cult? Was there a, like a, a specific yeah. experience you had or was it just in general being immersed there? Um, well, I went to Tibet for a pilgrimage trip. Um, there were, I heard there was this, um, uh, a very mysterious mountain kind of nestled in the eastern edge of Tibet between, actually it's between China and Tibet, it's sit right on the border. And uh, it was an area also close to my, where my father's um, ancestors home is. So I kind of just went there to travel and uh, just meeting those mountains was uh, life changing for me because it was a vivid felt sense that the light mountain is alive. Mm. And the, 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 they're not, rocks they're actually beings uh and they're a integrated part of life of you know uh, the villagers um, around that mountain really did not treat that mountain any difference than treating a grandpa a grandma um, a live being that's just but you know a very very old grandpa <laughs> very very old grandma um so that uh iso of cultural and that connection between human and land is what has catalyzed this um, immense change in me. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we'll talk about why, you know, I, I can see how that's influenced mm. the work, um, but maybe yeah. we could, you said 
I, I, you know, then I was in um, studying all these different disciplines, but then it was mm. too small. And so I discovered mm. coaching. What mm-hmm. happened then? Well, uh, when I was practicing acupuncture, um, you know, I had my private clinic and all that. Um, the practice is fine, but I clashed like so hard into the social system that hold acupuncture as a profession. By that, I mean the insurance company, the established medical, you know, conventional medical um, system where acupuncture is like little accessory um, uh, on the mm-hmm. side. Um, and the economic paradigm, the capitalistic social the engine, all this is like cut right through into the spirit of what I felt what Chinese medicine and Taoism is in my blood, in my bone. So um, I could maintain my little private practice, just be a happy like practitioner, but I really couldn't. The, the spirit that, um, that woken up in me by those mountains said, no, this has to be different. You know, there's, there's, there's like, a, a, it's almost like an invisible operating system in people's mind that operating in this giant social infrastructure that that needs to be changed and and the question is how do i do acupuncture on that how yeah. how do you be a like i am almost, almost as if the the beings in the invisible realm and ask me like if that's a huge body how do you do acupuncture on that body mm-hmm. and right. and actually that's what led me to the coaching field because i have as i read uh, i think Aldo sharma and several other people's book they use similar language talking about the um, social system as a live being and how can we approach it from a systematic view approach like a acupuncturist. So mm. <laughs> that's what drawn me here. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And so, so you came across coaching and then discovered people like Otto Sharma. Mm-hmm. And um, so how did that lead to the emergence of the, the resonance code? It's really quite a, a story of emergence. Cause I, mm. I, you know, on the side, I was um, studying I Ching and trying to understand it from a a statistical point of view, because I had that background of numeric computing. And at the core of I Ching is actually a set of binary code, which is completely, you know, it's... um, It's such an abstract language that um, it's cross-culture, you don't need a different language to understand a set of numbers, right? <laughs> so it's that, like, it has such that universal principle. So, so that's kind of like my side project that I was fascinated about and constantly researching and trying to understand. And then I was drawn to the coaching field. And then um, I actually, at the beginning, never thought these two lines would merge. I thought they would just be you know, one is my pet project and the other one will be my, this new profession. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I was immediately soon after I started um, kind of playing around in the coaching field, I was led to my um, collaborator, Joseph Friedman, who's the, the second author on this book. And he happens to be a very senior coach, um, organizational consultant had uh, and he had the uh, um, experience with I Ching for 40 years <laughs> uh, as his kind of like a private pra- uh, personal practice. So immediately we struck, struck a 
chord between us and we started collaborating and we started to bring the ideas, um, practices of coaching and to juxtapose with the, um, the structures I have um, um, derived from I Ching and then things start to emerge from there. Resonance code start to um, be born from that um, mm. cauldron of collaboration. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Um, wh what, so, you know, I don't know a lot about the I Ching and mm -hmm. um, you've already shared a bit about it, but mm -hmm. what's, what is it that you are, are like, what is it that it's providing or, or um, mm -hmm. the, the wisdom from it that you feel is so important and how is that then, mm -hmm. you know, influencing coaching, the coaching? You're yeah. Doing yeah. 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 That's a, that's a great question. That's a, we may need several steps yeah, please. <laughs> leading yeah. to it. Yeah. Let's, let's see if we can follow that. Um, so a very core question, a very core um, inquiry, I think, um, which is kind of funny to say that, but, but, but the very core is what is I? When we say, you know, when we ask, for example, if you're coaching someone, when you ask someone, what do you want? Or what's your highest uh, aspiration? There's a, there's a set of sensation and concept and the framework you hold. There's a sense of I in there. Right. 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 So, um, it, it's after I, I started in the coaching field, very soon I realized that word, the simplest word of I, I've, we talk about it all the time, all day long, almost, you know, eight out of 10 sentence. It means so, such a different thing in English, in the modern culture, in the Western world, than in Chinese, in the classic, you know, the ancient times when I Ching was written um, and in Eastern Asian culture. So I just, once, as soon as I started seeing that, it was like comical. I can watch, you know, two people from different culture talk and I realized they just cross fire at each other because they had no idea that the sense of I they were talking about is vastly different. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, like hidden, hidden to each other. Hidden. Yeah. Hidden to each other. Right. Right. This actually came very obvious in my relationship with my uh, uh, partner, Joe, um, Joe Shirley, the, the, the third author of this book. <laughs> Tell me, yeah. yeah. What, what did you, what happened there? Like, what did you notice? How did you well, see that? Because, you know, we, we, we live and work together. And uh, so we, it's practically together 24 hours, 24 seven. <laughs> so it's a very intense uh, uh, container. Um, but, you know, he's a, he was born, um, you know, kind of, he was born in Western Pennsylvania, grew up there, very hardcore um, kind of traditional, not traditional. I, I don't know how to categorize that, his family, but he's hmm. very, you know, immersed yeah. in that American culture. Right. And, uh, um, and of course, he's, you know, he's a great, he's an explorer and uh, he's a tremendous, um, actually, uh, coach himself. He, he yeah. does his own line of coaching. But when we are get down to the, you know, business, detailed business and uh, um, interaction in the kitchen, you know, the daily life, we finally 
and at the beginning of our relationship, there's lots of frictions. There's a lot of like, oh gosh, like how come you just couldn't understand? We couldn't couldn't understand each other. What's going on? Eventually, we boil it down to two problems. One is his sense of I is different than my sense of I. Second is when he say the word is is different when I say the word is. Is is <laughs> is like, like be yeah like, yeah yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, like you are this, I am that, right? Right. So right. basically, these Let's two break that down, yeah. yeah, completely, yeah. So and and this level of awareness, yeah. The thing is, um, most people, I, I'm very much aware of the privilege I have to have this, to be able to have this awareness, because most people live. Major, I mean, I have lived the majority of my life never ever needed to understand what is I and what is is when I say is yeah and uh, it was uh, until recently that was unpacked to me and that kind of like sent me like to uh, it initiated a whole slew of insight that penetrate everything how I see everything yeah would it be useful now you said we can take those Mm -hmm. steps to see how what you discovered from the I Ching and how that it's influencing yeah. the work and coaching. Would that be a useful step to take to, to, to look at the different eyes? You know, like I'm, I'm like, wow, yeah. what, you know, I know you're familiar with developmental psychology, psychology, mm-hmm. yeah. the work of Keegan yeah. and yeah. Cook yeah. Reuter, yeah. Um, Bill Torbert and so on. Yeah. So yeah. Um, would that be useful to talk about the different eyes right now? Right. I wonder, um, it might be, this might be a little bold, um, but I wonder, can I do a, just a simple experiment with you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Love it. Okay. So uh, it, it will be a shortened version, but I think we can, we can try it. Um, so while, uh, I will invite you to introduce yourself to me in two ways, and I'll give you a prompt. Yeah. And uh, don't overthink, just like let yourself flow and following the prompt I gave you and just notice how you feel differently in these two prompts. All right. Okay. So the first, the first one, um, Joe, can you uh, introduce yourself to me as if you meet me the first time uh, by describing who you are, like what makes you, you in the world, Um, you know, your unique qualities or identities or what you do that makes Joe, the, the Joe that I can yeah. pinpoint. Yeah. Sure. I'm uh-huh. Joel and mm-hmm. I'm a father, a new uh-huh. father, and uh-huh. I'm very warm hearted mm-hmm. and, and loving. And mm-hmm. I'm very passionate about evolution, awakening, consciousness, mm-hmm. and what is it for people to fulfill their potential. Mm-hmm. I could talk about what I mean by that for a long time. And I'm, mm-hmm. so I'm actively pursuing that in my work mm-hmm. and my, mm-hmm. in fact, I don't feel a separation between my work and my life. It's all mm-hmm. an expression of that movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm very fortunate in Amsterdam where I live to live in a community of people who have similar passions and my partner mm-hmm. Ellen does too. Great. All right. Awesome. Um, yeah. I can really feel the, the warm ball of energy in you. <laughs> <when> you <say laughs> that. Cool. cool. 
So this is one way of uh, I'm inviting you to introduce you to me. So the second second way uh, we're going to shift the gear a little bit. Um, I I would like you to in, invite you to introduce yourself to me. But in this introduction, um, you will not tell me about who you are. Instead, um, you would name a few key relationships. Um, in a relationship with X, Y, Z that will, in your mind, will best paint the picture of who you are. Ah, very nice. Good. Yeah. I can already feel that. Um, so, maybe just like the key quality of how this relate, you know, relationship with wife and the quality of yeah. this relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So first relationship that comes up is with where I live mm. and I live in Amsterdam and um, I love Amsterdam because it allows, because I feel uh, safe here mm. and spacious mm. and it's vibrant. It's full of possibility mm. uh, as opposed to where I used to live where there was a sense of oppression for me. Mm -hmm. So, so it's a really, it's a, it's an important relationship that I have mm -hmm. to this city. Mm -hmm. And then of course my relationship to my family, my partner, mm -hmm. Ellen and mm -hmm. my daughter Esme and my stepson mm -hmm. Mella, um, has taken on a whole new significance mm -hmm. because now there is, is my daughter Esme. Mm. So I feel um, a, a kind of increased sense of being in a web mm. you know, or like a yeah. lineage or something. Wow. And um, I'm just thinking, I'm feeling quite moved now. I'm thinking of all my beautiful friends here too. Yeah. And um, Yeah, what what like being in relationship with them feels like? Yeah, like um, yeah, like you and my my beloved brother. Mm. And there's just a sense of mm. deep soul brotherhood mm -hmm. as we connect. You know, pure joy yeah. in connection. Yeah. Mm. Wow. There we go. Okay. Wow. I really see like two aspects of you. I, I don't, I'm curious what's your experience in these two modes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like both. Um, I mm -hmm. noticed the second one is, is it's actually, I'm so used to going into what it means for me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I would um, almost start to go into, well, who am I in relationship to this thing, which is also what you're asking me, but, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, I like, I, yeah, I, I, if it brings up something very different, the second mm -hmm. one, yes, which feels like, um, very immersive and, and web-like, um, yeah. it's hard to put words to it, but yeah. Um, Whereas the other one feels more like concentrated and individual mm -hmm. and, and powerful. This, the other second one right. feels much more like expansive or web-like. Yeah, very much. Yeah. So in that short exercise, you're tapping into 
two senses of I. And as an observer, I can see, you know, my experiences, the first one is beautiful, powerful, and like there's this outward and projecting, like there's something external projecting out and I'm, I'm just like, wow, like um, enjoying it. And then as soon as I started ask you the second question, as you going went into that mode, I feel being pulled in it because your gaze become more inward and your 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 um become you become slower and a little bit quieter. Definitely. So I, I'm instead of like receiving what from you, I'm like, whoa, whoa I'm being pulled into you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Slowing down as well. I did mm-hmm. feel that in the second one, like a kind mm-hmm. of, yeah, slowing down. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and uh, and also the first one has a has a if it, like, like I can feel a more of a boundary to it. There's there's a definitive, not boundary in the not in the negative sense, but there's a definitiveness to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the second one, there's more of ambiguity. You're you are forming the web as you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And because it evolves another being, so you're like a sensing it. And sensing formulate. was the word. Yeah. It yeah. put me really in a sensing mode. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's like the first mode is comparing, you know, in comparison between these two modes, the first one is more young, you know, in, in, in the Chinese Taoism uh, concept. And the second one is more yin, more receptive, um, still more still. And the first one is more outer and more uh, uh, move, moving, more um, dynamic. So, so that's an. Uh, um, so I would say that the tradition that I'm drawing from, that the Eastern tradition in um, the perspective of human development, more emphasized the second, the yin mode. Whereas the, the Western um, tradition, Western um, practice com- in comparison to that is more emphasizing on the young mode. Mm. Yeah. So, so that's why the integration of both is really, I think is crucial for the time we're in right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know that a lot of um, coaching models are mm-hmm. um, very much you know, born out of the Western mm-hmm. kind of modes of uh, mm-hmm. like domains of psychology and, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. ego development. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can, I know we'll get onto that topic of how, mm-hmm. you know, there's perhaps where there, there are ways for sure how, you know, there the Eastern sense of mm-hmm. self can actually flesh out these models more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's, um, there's something I want to read now that you you mm-hmm. sent me. And I think it's a yeah. good place to ask you what you meant by it. Because you said like, mm-hmm. um, and I think this is exactly tapping in. You said this I, and mm-hmm. this is in the Eastern I, is a highly mm-hmm. receptive mode, listening to and responding to the motivations and agency coming from outside, balancing with what's inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, this requires to want to use one's cognitive mind very differently. The mm-hmm. cognitive mind is not focused on meaning making per se, but the delicate equilibrium between constructing and deconstructing meanings. Mm-hmm. Therefore, deconstructing meaning is a practiced uh, is a skill practiced as much as 
constructing meaning. I call this the poetic mind or the heart mind. Right. All right. There's a lot in that. So, <laughs> um, could you, could you tell me what's going on there? You said like, there's a, you know, let's flesh this out. This, this mm-hmm. equilibrium between constructing and deconstructing meanings. Right. Maybe, maybe, um, it, we need to focus a bit on the deconstruction side. Of <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think in one of our previous conversation, you, um, you mentioned, you know, you know, talked about in Western human development model, it was in the later stage, the uh, mm. matured stage, there is a sense of deconstruction happening. Right. Um, the, the, the kind of instru- infrastructure built by the symbolics, the linguistic symbols start to deconstruct and a, a sense of essence of being coming through. Yeah, particularly if you think right. of like Suzanne Cook-Greuter's model and mm-hmm. stuff like that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the transforming, mm. self-transforming mind. Um, so in, um, in the Eastern trajectory of human development, that deconstruction is not reserved for the highest stage. So there's a, there's a, it's almost like along the way, there's simultaneously construction of meaning, like uh, construction of ego, and also the deconstruction of it. They happen Mm -hmm. constantly as an interplay. Right. Yeah. So, um, so the, um, the, the approach that uh, the, the Eastern practitioners take is that there's a, there's a loosened sense of meaning held by linguistic. So th- this, we're getting into a difficult part of this communication is because a lot of this is held in the, the language construct of Chinese, <laughs> how Chinese is formed and how it shapes the neural, neurobiology, or, um, which is, uh, you know, um, we know, which is not so not that easy to talk in English. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Um, but just to note that the Chinese character, Chinese language is one of the few, I think probably only major language left in the world that in heavily relies on image construction because of the pictogram. Right. Yeah. So it's less symbolic and with each character, there's loaded with a lot of imagery connection and because it's image based so there's connection like when i see a chinese character there's a so much broader network of connection that's being made just by focusing on the 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 um, image aspect of that character then when i look at english what you know when i look at english what's most of the reflex is the sound okay r r e s o n there's the it's the sound the image part of my brain is less involved right right so so in in the in the chinese linguistic iso the when i speak chinese my image brain it's like you know image and the language they sit in different part of the brain they they're simultaneously activated and so is the sense of self in a way that I'm thinking myself, not just as a symbol, but also as a set of very um, a, a, a connected web of image, which has a deeper root in my somatic, um, somatic realm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Incredible. Keep going. I'm fascinated. <laughs> I love this. You know, I'm th- yeah. mm-hmm. thinking of like David Abraham's 
spell of the sensuous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, like the way the, the, the this, but I please keep going. Like the way, mm. you know, my experience is opening up as you speak. So, uh-huh. um, mm. Yeah, so the language, this this symbolic language, is mm-hmm. in a sense opening up a different type of experience for us, and right. a different sense of interconnection, right? With our right. experience, with our environment, right? And then could you right. say something about the deconstructing? Yeah, part so, of that. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Um, so I will. So to talk about that, I need to talk a little more about the core practice of resonance code um, as a coaching device. Yeah, let's do that. And maybe you could say what the resonance code is in a sentence. I know we're, we're going into that in the whole conversation, but mm-hmm, you know, right, mm-hmm. right now we've like, what is the resonance code? <laughs> okay. Um, so, um, so the, the basic premises of resonance code is that the world around us is a live animated being. And this is ancient idea. This is just in the last few hundred years, we kind of put that idea aside and going on, on our human business. But really the, you know, all indigenous cultures, including European indigenous cultures, acknowledge the world around us is a, a, a animated being. We're living inside the guts of a large being. Um, so, Resonance code is basically a language that allow one to have a telegraphic communication with this large being um, in nutshell. Um, In in the resonance code framework, we call the interbeing as a way to refer to the interconnectedness between human human beings and also the non-human being world. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And if I might kind of somewhat poorly um, speak to why I think that's important is because, mm-hmm. um, and then I want to come back to you said about the coaching thing, but um, yeah. you know, for me, I feel like we're one of the reasons why we're, we're uh, you know, I got challenged by my friend the other day for saying we're in crisis. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, we, whatever, we're certainly mm-hmm. in a sort of tension right now, mm-hmm. an evolutionary sure. tension. And yeah. Um, at least for me, somehow I'm fascinated. I, I feel like we've we've somehow reached the limits of this yes. Newtonian, um, Cartesian, logical, rational yeah. project, which yeah. has brought yeah. so many gifts. Yes, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, incredible gifts, and mm-hmm. it's we, we've overemphasized it or overlived in that part of our experience to the detriment right. of right. these other ways of modes of intelligence of being in the world, which actually right. are um, really important and could help us navigate the complexity and evolutionary mm-hmm. tension of these times, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so. Um, that's why I'm fascinated by what you're talking mm-hmm. about. This, these different mm-hmm. modes of knowing, which mm-hmm. you know, some people listening might be like, "What? Like this? You know, the living world, or the, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. what is this?" But I, but mm-hmm. I believe that with practice, with doing these mm-hmm. injunctions, we can experience mm-hmm. them, which is what you're doing with people, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
that I don't want to, I wanted to say that because I, mm-hmm. I, I think this is really important stuff. So coming mm-hmm. back now, you said mm-hmm. you were going to connect it to coach. I can't remember what you said. Like, um, yeah. Do you remember where you were at? Like, yeah. So, yeah. um, I think we're ta- you were asking me about, uh, how does this deconstructing work? Yeah. And you right? said you were going to yeah. talk about coaching as well. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. so, um, that's why I'm saying that the, um, the, the core practice of resonance code is a, very important tool to dial the equilibrium between constructing sense sense making and the sense of self versus deconstructing it. Um, so the uh, the core practice of resonance code has to do with um, evoking a pattern from the outside world um, without the without any imprint of our egoistic. Um, desire, wishes, even if our best held intention of helping the world or, or love or giving people, it can still carry the imprint of our egoist, egoistic um, yeah. template. I think that's what's right. happening most of the time, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Activists. You see a lot of activists, yeah, doing good, doing good itself is an act of um, interference. <laughs> uh, the first principle of um, medicine is not to help people, but do no harm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, so the the and I we see that a lot of people with the best intention can actually um, unknowingly um, bring kind of perpetuate the old paradigm that that give rise to problem. So the the practice is to evoke a pattern from the outside world, such as like even something like as quote unquote meaningless as throwing a bunch of coins and read what the, you know, the pattern uh, coming out of that coins. Um, so, but if we actually entertained assumption that the world is a living world, and then this practice of um, inquiry and uh, asking for patterns becomes a living uh, embodied inquiry process that one can start to have a, like a dialogue with the interbeing, the living world. Um, the, 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 the thing is, one thing that's important to know is that um, just like, you know, uh, our cell is part of us, but our cell speak a different kind of language than, you know, I'm speaking English, but I cannot tell my heart cell to race faster or slower. Um, the, the, the cell and myself speak at a different language. So, so is our sense of self versus interbeing. The interbeing does not speak English or Chinese. <laughs> it speaks a different kind of symbolic language that we have to learn. It's not like we can order the mountain to tell us something or the tree to speak something to us. There's a different set of perception that we need to cultivate in order to perceive that communication. Yeah. So, yeah. I am curious to, you know, I'm thinking now about the, you know, Sufis talk about the imaginal realm Mm -hmm. and um, it sounds so, you know, that everything is, they kind of like de-emphasize almost like the literal, the concrete realm. And, and, mm-hmm. and they talk about how everything's in, is a kind of portal, you know, as a yeah. kind of subtle right. depth to it. Right, and, right. 
you know, right. it has some echoes with shamanism. I don't know a lot about shamanism, right. but right. you know, I get that. Right. It's like, it's like nothing is dead. Everything is alive. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we can kind of learn mm-hmm. to uh, open and sense right. you know, the imaginal, right. um, the information in, right. within that. So right. when I did yeah. journeys myself with mm-hmm. discovering purpose, soul's purpose, you mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. I, I, I sat for one of the things mm-hmm. I did was sit in nature, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. praying mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. fasting. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, I felt like I was able to open up my sense mm-hmm. perception to this imaginal mm-hmm. kind of living, living realm, you know, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is very um, tangible once you experience it, you know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. I'm, that's mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. what comes up as you speak about mm-hmm. you know, um, evoking these patterns from the world. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you you could either riff off what I just said, or you could say mm-hmm. something about how do you do that? You know. So you mentioned throwing coins, but mm-hmm. like, what are you doing when you begin to sense? the message from the pans or well the before we talk about what we do with that one thing that um is we need to very become aware in this practice is that in in terms of our relationship with the larger world the living world there's an overdue for deconstruction Right. So because we've been overdrafting, we've been drafting a lot of resource from the nature without giving it back instead of laying a lot of unprocessed, un, you know, like the all the plastic is a, is a symbolic metaphor for um, the, the kind of the, the debt we're owning to the mm. natural world. So our world and especially I say in our human organizations. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of energy that expressed as people's ego and even ambitions um, and and the drive that is long overdue for being broken down and deconstructed. Mm. So it's it's you know I'm sure a lot of people have um, done you know like a process like inquiry you've done inquiry into the going to the nature and immerse in, in you know in a beautiful setting and experience that sense of communion however to open yourself to that energy in the sun in the human world it requires you want to truly embrace that call of deconstructing ourselves mm. uh- uh, what how would yeah what does that look like like deconstructing mm-hmm. ourselves um, well there 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 are um so in in one of our earlier conversation um we talked about this uh the importance of bringing our sense of self back to our somatic realm and the the feelings um yeah. so in our in our cultural in our social interaction our attention is rarely put on those feelings and emotions that is make us feel uncomfortable. Like for example, just now you mentioned how you said the word crisis and that got you into trouble. You probably have this experience in, in our today's world, 
lot of world, lot of words we say can get us in trouble. <laughs> and the key problem is that you know the words is just the words; they're just pointing to some experience. But we have so much emotional baggage associated with so many experiences that we did not process. Mm. You know, it's like in if we think our emotion is an ocean, then this ocean is floating with plastic garbage, like like emotions, difficult emotion we haven't digested and broken down and incorporate, like in take, making them as nutrient to enhance our somatic body. We haven't done that. Mm. So a, a huge practice in our, uh, in our coaching work is called feeling work. This is actually Joe, my partner's, his creation is to help people turn their attention to these emotions, to these difficult feelings and digest them and break them down and turn into the nutrients to supply our awareness so that we can have a clearer, more um, flow uh, awareness, a more awareness that's more flow in the space rather than like a dodging, yeah. <laughs> dodging the different concepts. Yeah. So uh, then how do you feel about, you know, there's um, a huge interest or at least, mm -hmm. you know, in my circles, it seems like that. I don't mm -hmm. know if I'm in mm -hmm. a bubble, but Mm -hmm. you know, between uh, people who are interested in embodiment mm -hmm. and they're mm -hmm. interested in, in trauma work, you know, yeah, and collective yeah. trauma work like Thomas yeah. Hubel. So they're seeing that we're so swimming in this trauma that's, yeah, yeah. We've come yeah. to think is just how things are, but actually mm -hmm. it's not. Yeah. How do you, yeah. do you feel that's a, the hope in that or that, that that's kind of somehow connected to this, it's this work of de deconstructing that there's a yeah. movement in the world for people to begin to do that more so that they can yeah tap into so, that flow yeah <laughs> yeah it's very much connected and very much think um that's a very important framework to take on at the same time i want to say that resonance code is neither constructing nor disconstructing but it is focused on what is the regulator, the temporal regulator that tell us when it's the time to construct and when it's time to deconstruct? So that's the focus of resonance code. That's what the um, resonance code is a language that tell us, you know, um, from those patterns we derived from the um, outside world. Um, and another thing I want to say about the, the somatic versus um, the cognitive approach, um, so are you, are you, can I ask, are you left or right-handed? Um, right-handed. You, yeah. you have a dominant hand, yeah. your right hand, right? Yeah. And when you, you have a pattern of doing things like with your pens, probably use your right hand and left hand in a way, right? Yeah. Imagine you suddenly, I ask you to switch to left-handed. Yeah, it would the, be awkward. The, awkward, right? So similar thing with somatic and the cognitive approach. I feel like in our kind of let's talk about kind of the biggest pattern in our society our especially in the terms in in the realms of like social organization there's a pattern of how our somatic way of processing complexity and the cognitive way of process processing com, uh, processing complexity are interfaced with each other and and a lot of times we are right hand dominated meaning like our way of being, our way of organizing and thinking is dominated by the cognitive 
approach and supported by the somatic uh, processing. And now the task is how do we become, how do we break out that pattern? Ambidextrous, that's the word that I'm yeah. looking for, yeah. How do we become ambidextrous? We're not like switching to left hand either. Um, although practicing the left hand is very important, but uh, it's like evolution is asks us to, to, to take on a new pattern. Yeah. 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 I think that's, um, uh, a, a very worthy inquiry. How do we become mm -hmm. ambidextrous? And, um, you know, I, I'm encouraged. I'm, I'm both like feeling, um, the weight of, our you know, reliance on our cognitive minds, but I'm also encouraged, mm -hmm. you know, that, um, thinking now about like Alan Fogel's work and mm -hmm. I was introduced to that by Amanda Blake where he talks about embodied self-awareness and conceptual self-awareness and mm -hmm. maps mm -hmm. of how they are actually informing each other and you know how that's emerging mm -hmm. in neuroscience and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I just so I'm encouraged by that Mm -hmm. I, I think what I want to come back to is like you said something really interesting, which was like, mm -hmm. yeah, the resonance code is actually, it's neither constructing or deconstructing mm -hmm. then. So, so, you know, deconstructing we've said is like, is kind of deconstructing, for example, this somatic sense of feeling that's not been felt, you know, mm -hmm. so that there's mm -hmm. a flow that opens up mm -hmm. the constructing side would be, you know, we, what, what's that? What do you mean by the constructing side? Like, is that, mm -hmm. is that what we're forming mm -hmm. a kind of, yeah. um, you know, yeah. an ide idea, rational based sense of things? Or? Um, so um, in, in one of the things I wrote to you earlier, um, I said, uh, um, can I read this paragraph? Yeah. I said in Eastern human development, um, what is cultivated is a sense of I, that is first and foremost an ongoing embodiment sourced from the felt sense of environment. Right. And this phase lasts throughout one's adult life and it may happen independently from language. Hmm. So what is being constructing um, is that the resonance code provide information, provide a framework in which a person um, is empowered to go through this ongoing embodiment process and where they experience what it's like to embody their whole family. They're, what's like to embody the community that they are connected with. And when I say embod embodiment, it's not from the meaning constructed from the, you know, the, the linguistic constructs, but the felt sense, the experience of being with um, which also include both the, the, the comfortable and uncomfortable experience, <laughs> right. being with these elements that um, are important for constructing the continuous construction of sense of you, sense yeah. of I, yeah. So, so like coming back to your example of Tibet, it's like mm -hmm. embodying the relationship with the mountain. Right, right. Right, right. Yeah. And also about like in my story of the Tibet, soon after uh, I visited, I witnessed a breakdown of that ecological, pristine, pristine ecological environment because of economic development. And there's this 
tremendous grief um, witnessing and experiencing that process. So that's part of the embodiment too. So I also become that, so, so I experience that relationship or that breaking down that, that um, uh, is happening. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I'm appreciating the picture that's emerging. I'm fascinated. There's so mm-hmm. many things. I want to come back to that balancing you talked about or, or mm-hmm. knowing when to construct and deconstruct. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. W- why is this important for you? You know, why is it important that we include this type of embodiment? You know, mm-hmm. I'm imagining if leaders start to embody and lead from this place, mm-hmm. why is that important mm-hmm. for you? I, a, a favorite metaphor I'd like to use is the metaphor of a tree <laughs> or a growing or planting a tree. Um, to me, the embodied sense of your environment is like the earth. That's what I call the inner earth. You know, for, for anybody who has a garden, you know, the, the best way to grow a healthy, productive um, plant is to cultivate the earth. The most important thing is to cultivate earth. If you have poor earth, um, you can pour all kinds of you, you know, uh, money and time onto the plant and they won't produce very well. So I think for our human society culture to continue to grow and evolve, it's important for us to go back to the earth. What is our in, inner earth so that our sense of self can grow health, more healthy and more strong and more vital? And right now, I feel like because of the, um, I, I, my sense is that in Western human development model and the psychology, there's a lack of appreciation of this process of embodying, embodying, embodying the environment, embodying from the relationship. And much attention is given the differentiation phase. Yeah. So yeah. therefore, there's a sense of this earth is depleted. And you know, only those who have matured enough to the advanced stage, they began to like uh, embody the environment again. But there's a whole bulk of people like stuck in the middle that they there's a sense of isolation from the environment. I think this is a really important point. Um, I want to mm-hmm. come back to the evoking patterns and you know from the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. think that's really important. But yeah, mm-hmm. what you're talking about now. Um, mm-hmm. something we connected over is your, mm-hmm. your article on adult development theory and mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. there's a kind of, um, you know, it, and I certainly feel this and, you know, I was mm-hmm. thinking, I was thinking actually we did a call with Jennifer Garvey Berger the other day mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. I was doing it even then on that call, you know? So there's a privileging <laughs> of mm-hmm. the more mature stages of adult mm-hmm. development. That's mm-hmm. what I do. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. you know, everybody always says, Hey, every mm-hmm. stage is, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, is uh, worthy and valuable mm-hmm. in its own right, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I was thinking about socialized mind the other day, like it is, you know, Keegan's socialized, imagine mm-hmm. if we couldn't live together in societies. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that is just incredible, what an incredible mm-hmm. achievement. But mm-hmm. I do privilege the more mature mm-hmm. stages. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think you, you, you pointed out something mm-hmm. very interesting. And maybe you could mm-hmm. say something about what do you feel those models are missing? Or it yeah. connects a lot to what we're talking about. Yeah. So, um, so because um, the Eastern perspective and Western perspective focus on different sense, there's, they give attention to different sense of I. Um, 
like so much attention is, uh, in in my tradition a lot of attention is given to how do we how do we actually form the socialized mind how do we actually socialize from this embodied sense of you know purely impulsive kind of somatic reactivity how do we come from there to the social socializing so much of our attention is in the earlier stage so we I feel like I draw much insight from my tradition about what that stage actually their positive contribution is. So I feel like in the Western side, uh, because less attention is given to that, what is mostly perceived is the negative, the, the shadow side. Um, and, and not much is understood about what the potential gift for those earlier stage is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so in, in resonance code, I, 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 I don't call development a stage. I call, um, we have 12 developmental archetypes. Um, and we acknowledge each person has the full potential to express any of these archetypes at any time of their life. It doesn't have to be even linear. Um, so, and in those archetypes, the ones that are corresponding to the Western, the earlier developmental stage in the most of the Western models, I have given um, the kind of, I have articulated the kind of potential gift that this archetype may contribute that um, may not be that accessible in the Western models. Mm. Could you give us an example yeah. of one? Yeah, so for example, um, there's one archetype I called wild men, wild women. And what, what, what kind of um, stage and yeah. Keegan's or Kugreuter's model yeah. would you equate that with? I would equate that with the impulsive. Right. Impulsive stage. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So, so this stage is actually a very important, play a very important role of deconstructing <laughs> at very early on. How, how do we deconstruct of an embodied sense of the human so that we can be one with, you know, the plant, the animals? And that's why they call it wild men, wild women, right? So the, in ancient society, it's the, you know, the, the shamans, the medicine men who, um, who will take upon that role and uh, merge their consciousness, like took out the boundary of human sense and to merge with the environment in, in the most raw sense. And as you can imagine, this role is very much ostracized by our modern culture. Mm. And in that, in that exile, they were largely misunderstood. You know, they, they always see as a, as a floating shadow. Um, and with, in our fear, we, you know, label them. We have a lot of prejudice crazy against them. Crazy or something. Yeah, Locked crazy, right. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> totally. That that's the thing is in my practice, I serve a lot of people on the margin, the underprivileged people. And when I talk about these wild men and wild men, women, I'm not talking about people in the Amazonian jungle or the New Zealand um, back country. I'm talking about people living in our society at the very bottom layer and being. Um, in, you know, being, it's just really being ostracized, mm. ostracized by our society and, and seeing them as crazy, irrational, or, you know, or downright mental disorder. Yeah. 
Yeah. And how, how do you work with um, them or maybe in, in your own life, how is the wild woman archetype, you know, how has it emerged or, or like, how do you use it or, you know, like, could you give yeah. us a, a, to make it, you know, practical for people listening? <laughs> Well, in a way, kind is the of, right word, you know, I don't know if practical <laughs> totally. is the right word for this conversation. No, 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 moment, it, but needs, I think it, it, it needs brings to it be alive. practical. It yeah. needs to be practical. Um, I very much appreciate a podcast you did uh, uh, several months ago with Mark, Mark, um, Mark Whitley. Yeah. Um, I forgot the name, but she talked about this time, our time right now calls for warrior. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. It needs... It requires people to step out of the status quo, the the um, the, the boundary of normality, so and really speak truth, really represent what's most sacred, most important for them, and do it in a way that's also skillful, not warrior in terms of like chopping people up, but you need that bravery to put yourself out in a place of mm. you don't know and you. Um, you are really being put on spot and you're also at the same time willing to be vulnerable. Um, you know, actually part of the training of warriorhood is actually being flexible and, 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 and vulnerable. Um, so, so that requires our wild men, wild women to be online, to be activated. Mm -hmm. So that, so also another scenario I'm thinking of is as a leader, how do you actually leaning into your somatic wisdom when your cognitive analytical tools all failed. Nothing in your toolbox works, but you have intuition, you have a gut, and it requires you to step out of the line and put yourself in there. That's no less than, you know, a warriorhood that, that calls for the wild men, wild women. Sense of vitality or raw energy yeah raw vitality and raw energy like right being needed to break out of the you know conventional constraints or something yeah 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 um yeah. so yeah so we've got these um different archetypes and I, mm. something you wrote which i liked um mm. i think this is also applies to this part of a conversation but this is in another article you said like the kind of leader who will thrive in the future will need to develop both the capacity to exhibit the embodied uh, leadership similar to the Amazonian tribal leader, as well as the mm -hmm. intellectual capacity to articulate and perceive patterns cognitively. Yeah. Um, I think that's also acknowledging, um, you know, the, the, that we label some of these cultures primitive, mm -hmm. but they have been labeled primitive, but the actual right. complexity uh, the, the domains of complexity that they can navigate within the jungle. Right. Right, and the patterns they're able to perceive there are, you know, right. highly sophisticated. So right, right. Marrying exactly. that with the high cognitive capacity. Yes, yes. I think that's the that's the gift of our time. You know, as as much as there's crisis, I actually agree with you. There's a lot of very difficult things we have to deal with, but the potential is also so just uh, it, it inspires me every time I think about the potential to integrate this high sophisticated cognitive capacity and this raw animal almost animalistic human power together that's that's what gives me hope <laughs> so yeah. so maybe it's good to spend the last part of our conversation bringing it all together you know we've like mm -hmm. um 
you know, I think it's, it's a exquisite kind of body of work and, um, you know, maybe that last quote I, I, I read about the, you know, the kind of leader who can, um, uh, you know, utilize this embodied leadership and this sense making, um, this embodied, um, relationship with their environment, you know, like we mm. talked about with, with in Tibet, for example, mm. as well as this high cognitive capacity, mm. um, I, I'm, I'm still like wanting to know more about um, this evoking patterns from around, from the world, you know? So mm-hmm. you mentioned coins mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we talked about, you know, the livingness. So, mm-hmm. you know, that it's not like, cause some people might be like, well, that's just like um, new ageness, but mm-hmm. we're talking mm-hmm. now about if everything is alive, if there's a livingness mm-hmm. within everything, then mm-hmm. we can derive patterns which are meaningful mm-hmm. to us from something like throwing coins mm-hmm, mm-hmm. could you so what i want to say here is like i'm interested in if you could talk about you know what people are doing with the resonance code like how are they applying it like are you mm-hmm. working with leaders or you know do you do you have people training their capacity to perceive mm-hmm. the patterns from the worlds mm-hmm. they're in and then mm-hmm. and apply these archetypes Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know marry that with their cognitive capacities i wonder if you could kind of like give us that sense of like how people are mm-hmm. applying it in the world mm-hmm. well um actually all of what you just speak about and um you know I, I don't want to get into too much detail of the actual practice because it's actually very um i'd say academic <laughs> probably imprinted by my own background you know um you know, I, you talk about people's kind of um, brushing off the new age stuff. And I, I, I actually have, you know, I, I know where that comes from because um, the new age, there's a, um, and anyway, I, I want to say that um, the, um, the, the, the work um, actually is very simple in that casting a pattern from the coins uh, at each given moment a person is being pointed, their, uh, their attention is pointed to three archetypes out of the 12 in the developmental arc. And we have ways to um, link, your connect, in, link your inner awareness to these three different archetypes and then watch them, uh, observe them, how they unfold and interact with each other throughout a period of time. And mm-hmm. So you complete like kind of uh, evolutionary cycle within this period of time. And so you get a better understanding of how these archetypes work within your personhood. Mm. So the way we hold it is like, it's like, it's, you know, it's like your cell has DNA and each, within each of your cell, the DNA has the information for all kinds of um, potentials to especially like, uh, you know, the potential to give birth to babies, to the potential to um, fight with a new disease that you've never, your body have never seen, to process a new food. All these are readily available to you. And similar in our awareness, in our consciousness, there's this DNA for potentials that's just in us. And it's waiting for the right condition to activate so we can express it. So the resonance code, the patterns evoked from the resonance code pointing to 
at this condition, what are the DNA that's DNA of your consciousness are ready to be evoked through these mm. archetypes? Mm. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Makes me want to work with you to ex experience that. <laughs> You're welcome to try. Yeah. 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 So the actually very important thing is that this speaks to how, so the leaders, the people I work with, I'm very um, co uh, conscious about how, how helping them to find the condition that will best enable the expression, you know, if they're ready, when they're ready. Um, you know, for example, there's an archetype called architect of the soul. I mean, the, that archetype is um, uh, kind of the role is to design the architect of your life structure. So when the person is ready, then it's actually, it's best to, be, to the best interest of this person to put themselves in a place to take a risk so that this architect can really do its job. Because if, if something is a potential ready to express in you and you don't provide the condition, guess what? It will start to mess things up. <laughs> mm. mm -hmm. right. right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, until you get the message or maybe miss the yeah. opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. So, <laughs> so. Um, what, is there anything we haven't mentioned that you would like to share about this work before we begin to come yeah. to a close? There's, there's one thing I do want to say, and it's a bit of a difficult topic, and mm. I want to give it a shot, is that, I want to say that you know, um, each culture has their blind spot, and and you know, I'm a native Chinese, and I'm very painfully aware of the blind spot of my culture and and my peers um, mm -hmm. and myself, and I'm constantly working on that. And likewise, I, you know, as I'm stewarding my work forward in the world, I run also run into there's a kind of a taboo topic um, that it's hard to talk about among the coaching field is how much this we kind of touched upon earlier is how much the practices and ideas is Euro-American centric mm. um, and not and I actually I'm myself is a beneficiary of lots of the gift of the Western culture Western civilization but at the same time I want to invite people to become aware of, you know, encased in any culture, we will have our blind spot. And with that blind spot, we'll have prejudice and judgment against certain things. And it's okay, it's part of our human nature, but not aware of that or refusing to become aware of that becomes the blockage. Mm. And, and I, um, um, I feel like that that's a topic I, I would like to have more conversation around. Um, yeah. uh, because I, I so much is so much inspired by the, the pure heart and intention of a lot of coaches I, I meet. And I feel like not addressing this question is not doing service to mm. our beloved, you know, profession mm. <laughs> as a field. Yeah, no, that's, what 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 would you invite people to do then you know we could check out your work but i mean what comes up for me is the mm. potential for an evolution 
or a, a, a kind of transformative conversation yeah uh, between yeah, the com- different cultures yeah you know? yeah I'd say maybe so. i mean maybe as a as anyone listening right now who is mm. inspired by that to mm-hmm. reach out to you or me you know to, yeah um yeah this is one of the yeah. ways the message can get out but um yeah yeah, yeah. and also i just really feel strongly that the perceptual lens we wear to the early development stage um i feel very strongly that needs to be fleshed out with their invisible potential invisible the gift that's currently invisible right so that we can have different relationship with those yeah. stage of yeah yeah yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Looking, there was an article uh, that you wrote that I recommend people. Um, you probably know the title of it already: "Evolution Towards Wholeness: Integrating yeah. a Holistic Paradigm into Adult Development." I recommend people check that out because um, mm-hmm. you, you know that's one of the places where you talk about this um, blind spot. You know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and we didn't talk about wholeness today. That's a, another topic that I think is really at the heart of a shift we need to make. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, mm. Any last thing you want to say? Um, the last thing is um, let's find out how to enjoy unknown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not i mean i i struggle with it constantly myself but occasionally i break through in a good day i really enjoy unknown and not knowing in that place of just thrashing around and and it's in that place i feel this sense of intimacy uh with people around me and the world um, that i encounter so um so if our so we covered a lot of stuff in this conversation. And if um, there's a sense of overwhelm, if any audience felt like a sense of overwhelmed, like a lot of information process, I invite them to kind of also relax into the not knowing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just want to say something about that. Yeah. You know, this is a quite a, uh, deep, broad body of work in a sense, or a new, a different paradigm we're talking about, you know, and in, mm-hmm. even in some sense, we're talking about a non-conceptual paradigm. Yes. Using conceptual language, you know, which yeah. is fraught yeah. with issues. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's a, there's a way in which our whole conversation whilst being incomplete is an expression of exactly this interbeing, you know, this like yeah. uh, holistic kind of, yeah. I don't know what the word to use is there. So, so that's, I, I yeah. think I'm echoing that invitation for people yeah, just to, yeah. not to try to right. grasp it, everything with the intellectual right. mind, because that's right. in some sense, that's like, that's what we do. Yeah. We're trying to suddenly reify the world and grasp it with our intellectual yes. mind, yes. which closes down this um subtle depth of of yeah. field you know this livingness yeah, yeah. Uh, and and um the the wisdom that can emerge through that so yeah i so much yeah. appreciate you you kind of like jam with me <laughs> we're like <two laughs> jazz musicians jam with me because you, you know our conversation is certainly not linear <laughs> we right. dance around many places and it, this is an 
an example of what I called we're shifting from the linear conceptual rational mind to the poetic dancing heart mind because it's it's when we're speaking it's not the right and wrong and the you know well-defined concept that's that's the centerpiece here it's it's our heart um it's the the experience we're sharing that's that's what's most important yeah yeah exactly really important point it's like um i hope people um like I want to, it's almost like I want people to get this, you know, we should take this part and put it at the start of the podcast because <laughs> it's really in, yeah. important. Maybe I'll put that in the invitation actually mm, uh, for, people, yeah. for the way to listen to it. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think, you know, I'd end by just saying, perhaps you just named that quality uh, that I spoke of in the beginning where I was like, I really mm. like connecting with you because I can, this mm. thing, I feel it. And I think it's that heart mm. mind or that poetic, mm-hmm. poeticness. There's a kind of soft, um kind of spacious invitation not to um mm-hmm. well yeah in into into this heart mind i think yeah yeah so yeah. thank you spring thank you for yeah. answering that invitation yeah <laughs> takes two to tango yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah and um where can we find out more about your work uh resonancepast.com um yeah. we have the uh, articles, my book is downloadable there, and under the Engage tab, there's a bunch of offering um, we put there. So check us out. Yeah, yeah. cool. And write and, to um, us. We'll speak mm-hmm. again. Yeah, great. Hello, me again, Joel, and just want to take one minute to tell you about the art of developmental coaching. That's our, uh, how many weeks is it? It is. 20 weeks and it's an online developmental coach training program we're going to teach you all about how do you help your clients begin to see the deep code the the deep meaning making that they're often subject to that they don't see how can you help them begin to make object of that has all kinds of transformational implications in coaching very powerful approach it's been huge in the way i coach Basically, we are running the fifth version of this program with an incredible lineup. Jennifer Garvey Berger, author of Changing on the Job. Bob Anderson, the creator of the Leadership Circle and and author of Scaling Leadership. Robert Keegan, a real pioneer in the field, author of In Over Our Heads. B.B. Hansen, I can't name everybody's books now because it would take too long. B.B. Hansen, Carolyn Coughlin, Rob McNamara, Bina Sharma and Spring Cheng. It's a really brilliant lineup. And they're going to be teaching you through 16 live video workshops, which will be live interactive. There'll be coaching demos. You'll be able to ask questions and there will be everything's recorded and put into a course environment. It's downloadable so you can have access to it anytime you want. Uh, We create transcripts of all the sessions. We create integration workbooks. There's bonus materials and you'll be put into pairs and triads to practice everything that you are learning so it's really a deeply immersive learning experience and uh, i really want to invite you to check out the enrollment page coachesrising.com forward slash art of developmental coaching you can find out all about the program there uh, kicks off on 11th of february uh, 2020 so see you next time